This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The monetary system is changing, but digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, and day-to-day commerce may not be what you think they are. And is any of it connected to the mark of the beast? Josh Tolley gives us a healthy perspective of what we need to be doing now and how to have what we need in a time of economic collapse. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom, Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Unless you have your head in the sand, you see it coming. uh, Medical and monetary systems are converging, a seemingly deliberate deconstruction of Western society, all in the name of peace and safety. Well, it's time to pay attention, my friend, and tonight we have a financial expert to show us the way through these uncharted waters. Josh Tolley joins us for the second episode of Revelation Preparation tonight on this second Shabbat of the 11th month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you have it on your screen. And now, in addition to Josh, we have another special guest coming up and on the second half of tonight's program, who is actually our co-host as well. Please welcome (laughs) Partner Services Manager, David Robinson. Thank you, thank you, Scott, good to be here. Good to have you. So so Josh is gonna talk all about money, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, He's one of these guys who really knows what he's doing. I mean, he reminds me, that he bought Bitcoin (laughs) when it was $100, like so. Yeah, we used to go out and eat Chinese food and sit, and I remember him sitting across from me telling me about it, and I was like, nah. Yeah, because you used to work with Josh. Yeah. Out in uh, Missouri? Missouri, yeah, Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, and he's still out there, and uh, so we're gonna hear from Josh tonight all about cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, which are two different things, if you didn't know, uh, and what is happening with the monetary system, and then if it all goes to heck in a handbasket, what do you do? Where should your money be? Should right. it be in a bank? Are you gonna have access to that? Should it be somewhere else? Should you have maybe goods that you've purchased to, to barter? What, what should we be doing? Because these times are coming, guys. I mean, if you don't see it coming, read Revelation again. We're in lockstep here. Yeah. Things are progressing. I mean, they don't call it Agenda 2030 in the political world for nothing. There's something coming down the pike. No, definitely, and you, and you, need, to be, uh, you need to be known for your faith, no fear. No fear, because God will provide. These things are happening, like Mm -hmm. you said. So guess what? Our Bible is, everything that has been prophesied is actually taking place. We're in that process right now. So don't fear that, rejoice in that, because we know the end of the book, right? Right. But there are things we need to know about. We need to know about prepping, money. And you know what's funny, when you see you know, I, I look at, okay, so there's the general population, then there's the Christian population, and then there's these Messianic folks. Mm-hmm. How, what is the percentage of Messianic folks who are prepping to some degree? A lot. Far more than the mainstream Christian And, and why do you think that is? You look at it and go, oh, these people are just nuts. Really, are they? Because these are the people that look at their Bible and they go, yeah, sitting in a pew is not good enough for me. Really? I wanna dig deeper into the Bible. So they dig deeper in the Bible. They realize things. Mm-hmm. Yehovah begins to speak to them. And now they go, wow. 
I've been put on the front lines. I have a responsibility here to not only look after my family, but also to teach others about what is coming. Yeah. And so that's why you see this happening. I'm convinced of it. I, I, this is the truth, you guys. So if you're thinking that way, don't think you're nuts. Yehovah is putting you on the front lines to learn something to teach people about things you don't know so that you can help others. It's not right. to bug out to the woods like we talked about last week. It's about helping other people around you and gathering community so that everyone can survive. Exactly. And now, speaking of survival, David, you this is what yeah, we're, we're having gonna, you on. We're gonna talk about, um, you know, I love the outdoors, um, so we're gonna talk about grocery shopping in the woods and uh, basically hunting, fishing, uh, and um, some interesting information probably to some, uh, that everybody thinks, okay, I can sustain myself by doing that. Uh, over a long term, do not count on hunting and fishing or trapping to sustain you and your family for a very long period of time. We'll talk about that. Okay, so yeah. you need to get some provisions, mm -hmm. which are quite easily uh, obtained, yeah, yeah. actually. I mean, you have your grains. You're, you know, you're talking about very cheap, too. You're talking about corn, wheat, yeah. uh, rice, and beans. I mean, everybody knows what you can make with all of those. Yeah, you can boil and them, grind e them, do each whatever. Each one right? of them um, is around 1,600 calories per pound. Mm -hmm. So uh, they will literally save your life you know, over a long period of time. And they're easy to store, easier to store. And uh, because meat, you have to know how to actually process meat. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. Now in the fall time that we just went through here, I, I've got a lot of oak trees around my mm -hmm. yard. And so some leaves will fall and then more leaves will fall and more leaves will fall. So when, I, when I'm raking the leaves, it's not just once a year, I'm doing about six or seven times yeah. a year. But underneath all of that is something that, you know, you'll slip and fall, you'll fall down on the, on the grass. Why? Mm -hmm. Because there's acorns underneath right. your feet. Exactly. Acorns, I don't know how many people actually realize this, are edible. Yeah. You have to boil them five or six times, something yeah, you, like you, that. You, you, yes, it, you, because the taste, it is so bitter. Yeah. You know, so you definitely have to boil it down. Like but you can, you can make a flour out Absolutely. of them, just like you do with almond flour to make things like that. Yeah. So it's, there is food all around us. When we hear about that there's, there's this food shortage in the world, well, no, there, there's, there's a greed abundance in the world right. is what's happening. And we're not sharing with other countries. There's plenty of food in this world to sustain everyone. Yahweh wouldn't leave us here on a barren planet to die. Right. He's gonna feed us. We just need to look around and think a little more alternatively as to what we can eat and how we get it. Which is well, it's going again, back to the beginning because that's the way everybody used to live, right? You know, but now in our society, culture, and the way things are, we can just go to the grocery store. Um, you're paying someone else to package your meat and do that and kill the animals that you have in your fridge or right. whatever. Um, I personally like to be in more control of that, you know, because I I, I want to know how it's killed, how it's prepped. Yep. Uh, how it's stored, uh, because uh, you know, the minute you harvest something in the woods, you're racing against time. Whatever you just, your trophy just became perishable. Yep. And you only have a matter of time before microorganisms start setting in and, and producing at a rapid rate. You're talking about 41 degrees to 160 degrees or 135 degrees is the growth spectrum for microorganisms. Mm. So if you're hunting in South Carolina where I live and you shoot a deer in the woods, you're already running against the clock because probably it's 50, 60 degrees right. out. So you're in that you're in that bracket where things grow. So you have to know how to cool that meat down, how to get the entrails mm. uh, out, and and how to take care of it so it can sustain your family. Because if you don't, you know, you think, well, uh, maybe it's you know a little bad or something. I'll just cook it out. You can't cook it out because those things lie dormant, mm. and then as soon as it gets back into that growth temperature, those microorganisms come back to life, and you cannot cook them out. 
Wow, very interesting. So. Okay, well, let's save some of it for the teaching. Yeah, That's beautiful go. stuff. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> All right. The monetary system is changing, but digital currencies, cryptocurrencies, and day-to-day -day commerce may not be what you think they are. And is any of it connected to the mark of the beast? Josh Tolley gives us a healthy perspective on what we need to be doing now. The Kiddish with Michael is next. Stay with us. Of all the gospel accounts, not one was written by a relative of Yeshua. At least, not one that we have in today's Bible. There are, in fact, many gospel accounts that never made it into our modern Bibles. The most significant of which was written by James, the brother of Yeshua. Significant because of its details surrounding a family secret about their cousin, Yochanan, John the Baptist. You couldn't come out and accuse Herod or Rome of these things that they didn't want to take responsibility for. Herod was trying to hide this murder. He doesn't want James writing it up in his gospel. Anybody who has that gospel when James himself would be tracked down and killed. In this month's Love Gift Teaching, The Gospel of James, Dr. Miles Jones explains the details of James' fascinating accounts of John, the murder of John's father, Zechariah, and his mother's heroic escape to the hills of Judea. Right now, for a limited time, you can get your copy of The Gospel of James by donation. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Gospel of James on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Gospel of James, plus a hand-painted wooden wall hanging featuring the Hebrew name of Yehovah. Or as a special offer for a donation of $300, we'll send you The Gospel of James, the hand-painted wall hanging, plus a stunning acrylic keepsake featuring the Hebrew name of God, scanned directly from the Aleppo Codex. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Don't wait. The Gospel of James is available only until January 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. If you like what you see on Shabbat Night Live, you'll love the bonus episodes, now available only on the michaelrood.tv app. These bonus episodes dive deep to give you more serious study, cutting-edge content, and righteous raves you won't find anywhere else. It's Michael Rood Uncut. Sign up now to get the michaelrood.tv app free for 14 days. It's everything Michael Rood, plus all new bonus episodes you won't find anywhere else. Sign up to watch now at michaelrood.tv. Yeshua said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. When did Abraham see his day? When the king of righteousness, the Melech Zadik, brought forth bread and wine. And when he brought forth bread and wine, it says that the Melech Zadik blessed the Most High. And that prayer is still remembered and is what Yeshua said when he blessed the Most High the night of the Last Supper the night before the Passover lambs were slain. Yeshua said, Baruch atah Yehovah, Elohim melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem mi'aretz. This broken bread represents my broken body, my body which is broken for you. By my stripes you are healed. Do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. And then he took 
the cup. And in the words of the Melech Zadik, he blessed the Most High. Baruchatah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Borei Pri Hagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents and has represented from the time of Abraham the renewed covenant. My blood will purchase for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Shabbat Shalom. Welcome back to Revelation Preparation. And one of the biggest questions we have when it all hits the fan is, what do we do with our money? Where should it be? Where can we get access to it? What do we do when it all goes down? And someone who can answer those questions for us is author, speaker, and my personal money mentor, Josh Tolley. Josh, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure to be on Shabbat Night Live. You know, the last time you were here, you gave us some advice that was really applicable to me, and I ended up talking with your wife about uh, an investment uh, opportunity that you have where we were took where we took a bit of a uh, an inheritance that we had from a, a relative, and we, I said, where do we put this? And you gave us some very good advice. Maybe we'll get into that uh, piece of information a little bit later, but it was very helpful, and I, I found it was amazing. So we wanted to have you back, especially in the world we live in right oh, now, because no one knows what what's going on. Everybody's like, well, what's coming next? How do I prepare for this? And I'm sure you're thinking of that kind of thing too. All the time, all the time. And what I know is chaos will continue to ensue and it is our job to be ready for whatever it might throw at us. And I think sometimes we leave that old Boy Scout adage, always be prepared. We leave that behind in school and we don't take it into adulthood. But what life is showing us is we always have to be prepared. Absolutely. So I'm sure people are coming to you with these type of questions. So for number one, uh, we hear of China starting a digital currency, not a cryptocurrency, but a digital currency. There's a difference there, of course. And then there's uh, the US talking about the same type of thing. But maybe for those who have never dove into cryptocurrencies, could you speak on a bit of that and what it's all about? Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. And there is a difference between a digital currency and a strict cryptocurrency. Uh, first, I, I find it really interesting when we have American audiences and they're like, well, I don't do digital currencies at all. I'm like, oh, so you don't pay rent. You don't use a Visa card. 95% of US dollars are never actually printed. They're all digital. Crypto is a little bit different using blockchain technology and a decentralized platform. But it's it's really a fascinating sort of uh, topic because I've been involved in it since 2011, so a decade now. And a decade ago, everybody thought I was weird and kooky and, oh, you know, don't do that. And I think I got into Bitcoin when it was under 100 bucks. So fast forward, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I should have listened. Well, yeah, you should have. Uh, but beyond that... It's 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 a platform that allows for a decentralized currency. And what does that mean? It means that most of the uh, money, the currency out there, is based on a central 
central banking, typically fractionary lending sort of system. Crypto is a, is a solution or an alternative to that. And it's one of those things where we could talk about it for hours, but the very high level of it is there's no exchange fees in between currencies. So when you travel from Chile to Wisconsin, you don't have to convert the money to U.S. dollars. It allows for easy transport, fast sort of transactions, uh, a number of other sort of, of benefits, and a certain level of anonymity, if I said that right. But from a from a believer standpoint, there's typically a couple issues that come up. First, they they say, well, is it a global currency? We have to avoid that. Well, if you use the American dollar, you're already using the global currency. There's only a couple countries that are not using the U.S. dollar as their trade dollar. Iran, Nor uh, North Korea, used to be Libya, and Afghanistan. Uh, look what we do to countries that don't want to use the global currencies. If you're an American believer, you're already using that global currency. The second part of that is 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 this connected to the mark of the beast? Uh, maybe, maybe I, I have no clue. But the mark of the beast says that is a that it's blasphemous. I don't know how digital or cryptocurrencies can become holy in order to then become blasphemous. But it's really kind of irrelevant because prior to the mark of the beast. Anything could be used by the enemy. So we really have to look at this and say, isn't an alternative for us to engage in? Then we have to say, is it really a currency at all or is it a speculative tool? And while many of these things are called currencies because they can be traded and used as currency, they're really not a currency. And the reason they're not is because you would kind of be an idiot right now if you are using your Bitcoin to buy and sell things. The point of buying the Bitcoin at the moment is as, as a speculative tool where you buy it at one price, hope it goes up, and then you can sell it for a profit. Nobody's really walking around, at least if, if you're using um, things like crypto or uh, things like Bitcoin. In using it as currency. Now, there are some um, dollar for dollar back cryptos, which you can use as currencies. But for the most part, these are more speculative tools. Now, how do you feel about some of these other ones coming on the scene? There seems to be a new cryptocurrency every week. So uh, what do we think yes. of these things? You just have to let it roll out and see what happens or? <laughs> so what, what you really want to be looking for, and it kind of has to depend on what you if you're looking for what is going to be a true alternative currency, you're going to look for the platform, not necessarily the hype. Uh, and in a platform, you're going to want fast transaction times and, and that sort of thing. Uh, from a speculative tool, you want the hype. I mean, look what happens when Elon Musk tweets something about Dogecoin. It shoots through the roof. Going back to my point of it's not really a currency, it's a speculative tool. So if you're trying to speculate, great. Great. Just hop on and there are people who can make money. You can also lose a ton of money too. Uh, that's the risk of speculation. But if you're looking at it as a, as a form of, of currency or a form of exchange, then that's going to change your focus to look at other sort of coins. And again, if people don't know, there's no real printed money, but they call them coins. Uh, and it also impacts what you're going to do if you're a small business owner. I tell people all the time, even if you hate the idea of cryptocurrency and you're in business, take it anyway, because you can always tr change it into US dollars if that's your hot button. If somebody walked through this door and said, Josh, I want to buy your book, Evangelpreneur in Russian rubles," would I say no? 
I would, of course, say yes, take the Russian rubles, put them in the bank and turn them into U.S. dollars. So we have to to really decide where are we looking at this from? What sort of glasses are we looking at this issue with? Now, I know that a lot of believers are, are looking at the whole situation, wondering if they should pull away from society a little bit, start doing some more uh, food prepping, water, maybe live off the grid, all this type of thing. And, and the question has come up recently about what do we do about when the government wants to peer into our bank accounts a little more closely? What do we do about that? Should it be a concern? And, and if it is, what do we do about it? Well, let's, let's take that backwards. Should it be a concern? Uh, my perspective is yes, it should be. Uh, there's a reason why privacy was something your founding fathers were willing to die for. We have a tendency to be that slow-cooked frog in the pot, the proverbial boiling water. And at first, everybody was upset at the TSA, and they said, no, that's never going to happen, not in America. Then it happened. Then everybody said, oh, well, you know, we're going to have no-knock search warrants. That's not going to happen in America. Then it happened. Then they didn't need warrants at all after the Boston bombing, and nobody complained. As a matter of fact, people lined the streets and applauded the cops going into homes illegally. And everybody said, well, that's just the new normal. So if we would have rewound the clock 20 years ago, people would have been livid over the idea of $600 now being the marker for the IRS to be notified of your bank account transactions. But now we're not. So a lot of this has to do with what do you view as a priority? Sadly, there are a lot of people out there going, well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, then it doesn't affect me. And they somehow view that sentence as relevant when it's completely irrelevant. You have to look at what's more important than freedom and what's more important than life. And if you're like, well, nothing's more important than my freedom, then you'd be opposed to it. Now, what can we do about it? Uh, Start electing local sheriffs. The most important office in this country, and I know this is a divergence off of the economic thing, but the most important office in this country is the county sheriff. There is no powerful of an individual, period. Even the Supreme Court backs that, which is why the Biden administration and his late son spent a lot of time eliminating county sheriffs Uh, up in Vermont, Missouri. uh, We're even seeing a push for it here getting rid of county sheriffs and replacing them with county police departments. The reason why this is important is because a county sheriff can tell the federal government, nope, not going to happen. And as the Supreme Court starts backing those county sheriffs, the government is trying to get rid of county sheriff's departments. The county police can't say that. The county police answer to the city board and the mayor, whereas the the um, the office of a sheriff predates the Constitution and they answer to the people. So that would be the the most predominant active thing you can do. And then secondly, get involved in entrepreneurship any way, shape, or form starting by the time we finish this conversation. Now, I'll get into that in just a second. But the county sheriff thing, I recently discovered how powerful that was because coming from Canada 14 years ago, we don't have that same type of structure. But here, I discovered that because as soon as a mandate uh, of whatever kind comes across, like for example, most recently, the the mask mandate, uh, you know, onto all businesses or wherever else from a state or from the federal level or wherever. If a local sheriff is not willing to prosecute for breaking said mandate or whatever it is, then who's going to say anything about it? Because the the sheriff is in charge. And that's the first time I realized exactly what you're saying. He's the most most important person in America in your area. Absolutely. And most people don't even know who their sheriff is. 
And sheriffs, sheriffs in this country have proven this. I mean, there have been sheriffs who have arrested EPA agents, IRS agents that said, you are not going to arrest people in my county. If you show up in this county, I'm throwing you in jail. And they do it. And the Supreme Court says, hey, we can't do nothing about it. He's the sheriff. Mm. So we really have to embrace that, that role, like you were saying. Now, as far as entrepreneurship, I know that especially now, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this now where everyone is at home and working this way for a while. I'm sure a lot of people have already thought, hey, you know what, if I can do this from home, I can do a lot of other things from home. Maybe I should open my own business. So if someone is thinking along that line and being an entrepreneur, what kind of advice would you give them? Where do they start? Uh, well, first, I would say there's a huge difference between a small business owner and an entrepreneur. Uh, an entrepreneur is somebody who uses business in order to accomplish a greater goal. A small business owner is somebody who starts a job, then they work their own job. They just happen to own it, and they're usually working more hours than they did when they were employed. So there's a huge, huge difference. Uh, but the the first place to start is just starting. We have to get beyond this idea that that entrepreneurship is for the young or it's for the old or it's for the educated or it's for the white people or black people or it's for men or women. All of those things are completely irrelevant. Entrepreneurship is for everybody, every culture, every political system. And you just have to start. Uh, I wrote a book on it called Evangelpreneur. Shameless plug. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've been on Shabbat Night Live talking to you about it, actually. But it, it's not a hard thing to do. And we lay out a step-by-step -step process of just assessing what do you have at your disposal right now. If you have a bucket, a squeegee, a toothbrush, and, and some Dawn dish soap, you could start a motorcycle detailing company today. And think about and I'm serious, all of your viewers, You've never driven past a motorcycle wash, yet every single biker likes what? A clean, pretty bike. There you go. So there's so many things. The, the second bit of advice is I would say try to stay away from things you know, like, or love. It seems to be the default because at some point in history, your grandma taught you do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Your grandma was wrong. Uh, but, but when you, when you focus on things, you know, like, or love, you put yourself in a box and then your income is going to be determined on you producing. Whereas if you look around you and say, what's the best opportunity to get me the life that I'm after, then you start seeing opportunities that normally you would never, ever even be involved in. For example, um, I own, or I own, I used to own the practice itself, but the largest, um, private birthing state of Missouri. I can't work there. I'm not licensed to work there. But if I was just looking at things I was good at, wouldn't have, wouldn't have even been an option. So you have to keep those broad, uh, those broad visual eyes out there scanning for opportunity. So now when you start a new business or you become an entrepreneur and do things outside of your box and you start to bring in some of the money and you're concerned that, well, what if the banks go down? What if it all goes to heck in a handbasket? How can I get access to what I have earned if I don't put it in a bank? What are our options? So, you know, you have a lot of different options. Uh, you can always put it in the mattress, which is dangerous. You're going to lose to inflation. Uh, you can put it in metals, uh, but people really have to understand what's going on with metals. There's this, there's this antique idea that metals are offset by market demand. And as the dollar goes down, gold goes up. It's actually not how metal pricing works. Um, 
the the same centralized banks that set the value of currency every single day set the value of metal. So you're hoping that the same people who are valuing your money that you don't trust somehow value the gold in a way you do. And then you have an exchange issue with that too. And I'm not saying don't have it, but you do have an exchange issue. Uh, you can put it in inventory. Uh, I remember I did a, I think it was a Passover event with Michael, 10 years ago, nine years ago, something like that. And I was telling people then more important than gold and ammunition and storable food is diapers, batteries, feminine hygiene products, baby formula, because when a crisis happens, you can use that, that baby formula to buy all the guns, to buy all the gold, to buy all the, because what would you give in order to keep your baby alive? And then COVID happened and it proved me right. I mean, as soon as COVID happened, people except for you and I wanted haircuts and toilet paper. And it just proved me right. So you can always buy inventory and you can also place your money with insurance companies. And this is something that you and I have talked about that people for some reason are just no longer taught, but it's the only way that we have found in the past hundred years to provide for your children and your children's children. And that's, that's a whole topic in and of itself, but there are options out there. But the most important thing, Scott, is not necessarily what to do with the money. It's how do you develop the skill set? So even if you lost all the money, even if there was no such thing as an American dollar, Bitcoin, we have an EMP, there's no internet, how can you survive and thrive? And that's going to be those entrepreneurial skills because every time a civilization has crashed, it's always been brought back to life, not by a political group, not by another ruler but by the entrepreneurs. So when, maybe this is a part of an entrepreneurial type of question. So if people have extra funds right now and they are buying the diapers yep. and things like this, what things of value, or should they be doing that? Buying things like furs and this and that and the other thing to, that will have value later on. Is that, is that uh, prudent thinking or is that uh, pie in the sky? So when all else fails, you really have to remember you have the places where you keep money, the places where you make money, and then the skill sets that allow you to do both. Those are the three things you really want to get your, your hands around. Because one of the things, for example, like uh, I like to invest in right now are recession-proof businesses, things like concrete, asphalt, um, carpentry, trash removal, septic. Because those things are things that are going to be needed, even if the internet crashes, there's no dollar, Bitcoin no longer exists, China overtakes our country, for goodness sakes. Nothing disrupts those sort of industries. And then you take a little of that extra money that you're making from those, and you might put those into a little bit of a, of a moonshot sort of situation, something that might pay off great, but if it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the family budget. Then from a, a, where do you put the money, I am a huge advocate of putting it with shift capital. Uh, because that's the only thing that we found that protects it. So that's where I want to put the bulk of what I'm, I'm generating. And then I take some and I do have precious metals. I do have crypto and I do have kind of speculative sort of, of things where if they blow up, yay. Uh, and then, but really, Scott, the, the main point here is getting those skill sets. So no matter what happens, you have the ability to survive and thrive. If you look at every time civilization has crashed, it has always been brought back to life, not by another political party, but by the remaining entrepreneurs every single time. Even when the Hebrew slaves were left out of Egypt, God said, take all of their stuff too. And for 40 years, they engaged in commerce with the surrounding people, which is how the other tribes knew who they were and, and knew, you know, don't take the ark and all that sort of stuff. There's a real element to that 
skill set of being an entrepreneur is even more valuable than the money you might have. Indeed, and I think that's what we're finding out with this series on Shabbat Night Live is there are several speakers all coming together like yourself who have specific skills and we all just need to stay together. I think maybe that's it too. Rather than all being separate and everybody in their own little world, we need to come together, barter with each other, uh, use each other's skills to help one another, and that way we can keep things going the way we want to keep them going. Which is why I really love what you guys do uh, and I have for, for a decade now, because when we look at the larger sort of church moniker, there's no culture, there's no commitment, there's no togetherness. That's not true in other societies. You know, if, 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 if you came down here to Houston and you said, Josh, let's go experience Indian culture, we wouldn't even put going to a Hindu temple on the list of things we would do. We would go to a store. We would go to a restaurant. We would go to a festival. We would go to a concert, We would, right? Same thing is true in Muslim culture, Jewish culture, whatever. But for some reason in the church culture, all these churches want culture to be inside of their four walls. And the largest, the largest predominant element of any culture, whether you believe in the fivefold ministries, the seven mountains, whatever, everything is based on the ability to have that foundation through free enterprise. All of them, which is why in the, in the Jewish community, a dollar goes hand to hand uh, 10 to 12 times. Before it goes into the general American population, a Muslim dollar is 14 to 16 times. The Christian dollar is zero times. Mm. Instead, we say, well, let's get it from Amazon. Failing to acknowledge the fact that Jeff Bezos spends hundreds of millions of dollars a year destroying the fabric of faith. Mm. Yet, but Josh, they have free shipping. And that's why, that's why this entrepreneurship idea is so, so vitally important. Yeah, since I've become an entrepreneur with the, the health things that I do, I've, I've realized how important it is to go to the local farmer's market and support the local farmers, especially with the world I'm in with health and all the rest of it, because there's threats even coming down our way as far as putting things in the food we may not want in the food. So we need to go stay local, buy local, buy from local believers if you can, and uh, keep it all within house. So I love what you said, Josh, thanks very much. And uh, Shift Capital, I just wanna tell everybody, uh, I've done things with Shift Capital as well, so I highly endorse it. And uh, where can folks find out more information about you, Josh, or get in contact with you? A lot of different places. So the shift capital is shyft-capital.com, spelt a little different. Uh, Purple Monkey Garage, we're always doing events for believers. Uh, you can go to purplemonkeygarage.com, hit the events tab and sign up there. Um, joshtolly.com, just Google me, I guess. Uh, go wherever books are sold, but hopefully not Amazon to buy a Vandrepreneur. Uh, and then just keep watching Shabbat Night Live because every once in a while, here I am. All right. Thank you very much for your insight, Josh. Thank you for Thanks, joining God. us. God bless you. Well, welcome to this edition of Revelation Preparation. Now we're going to talk about food supply, not from the store, not from your garden necessarily, but from the wild. And some folks say, well, no problem at all. I have my firearm. I know how to hunt. I'll be just fine with me and my family. David Robinson, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. It's great to be here. Now, yeah. you are a hunter. Yes. You've heard that from many people, oh, I'm my assuming, gosh, yeah. right? Yeah. So they say, ah, I've got my gun. As long as I got ammo, we got food. Yeah. Is no. that right? Um, you Partially. There's no way that you should ever rely solely on hunting to support your family's food sources. Okay, why not? Well, I mean, like because there's, a, there's okay. enough food out there. Okay, I mean, now let's think about this. Let's okay. think about the fact that uh, there's different levels 
of survival, you know, because of different reasons. You have tornadoes, hurricanes, and natural mm -hmm. disasters, and then you have civil unrest. And then, you know, those conditions are the, the more extreme conditions. And we're becoming more and more aware of the possibility that those things could actually happen. Right. So if you think if you're in a, in a position where you can't do anything but hunt and fish, those resources, because of the need, are going to dwindle. Mm. So if you have you know, 40 acres, 100 acres, 200 acres, and you're having to negate uh, wildlife uh, rules and regulations, if you will, to feed your family, because you're gonna need to take more probably than you, know, you normally would, um, those resources are going to slowly dwindle. Not now, to mention if you're the owner of that land and someone comes on it, right, because they're desperate. Because they're desperate. So you think about that. I mean, deer, uh, turkeys, they do not pay any attention to boundary markers <laughs> or to poster signs. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to go over to your neighbor's house and your neighbor's going to shoot them or vice, right. you know, vice versa. So it's not wise to rely completely on hunting and fishing to be your source of food for your family. Mm. That's why you prep, uh, you got you, you need to prep and you also need to have grains. They're they're very cheap. You got rice, beans, corn, and wheat. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those things are very cheap. It probably takes approximately seven to eight hundred pounds per person. Um, so you can store this grain very easily, um, and there's so many different things you can make of it. And each one of them roughly have around 1,500 calories or a little more right. per pound. And that's gonna be it. You know, when we when we see all these people doing specialty diets, you know, I talk about this all the time because I'm a health guy, right? Right. So I'll talk about, well, if you're suffering from cancer, some people choose to do a vegan diet, or they do a ketogenic diet, you know, that kind of thing. There's many different ways to, to heal and that type of thing. but. Mm -hmm. But no matter what, I mean, you can't starve yourself. You've got to have nutrients and nutrient-dense foods, and you've got to have enough calories. And I think that's what you're talking about. If you don't exactly. have enough calories, you're still going to dwindle away. You are. You're going to have to have... Nutrition is very important in survival. We know that. Uh, and we're going to talk about other things at some other time, about water and shelter and, mm. and those things, too. Oh, we should do a bonus uh, on that. Yeah, right. exactly. Ooh, it's a great idea. Okay. There's a yeah, hit right there. there it is. Right. We'll we'll do do a TV app bonus. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, you know, you gotta you gotta realize that if if say where it's that bad, yeah, where you're you can't go to the store, you 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 you've got this mentality I'm a hunting fish, mm -hmm. I haven't stored any grains, anything. Just you firing a weapon is gonna give your location. You have to think of things like that. Right. You, you, me, my favorite uh, choice, a weapon of choice is a bow, a compound bow. Yeah. I can hunt in your backyard and shoot a deer. Unless it runs in your yard, you'll never know, you know I was That's there. a good point because I live in a, a semi-rural area uh, outside of Charlotte mm -hmm. and quite, there's a couple of farms literally a mile from my house. And if he's target practicing, on a Sunday morning, I can hear it as if it was in my backyard. Exactly. It's really loud. It really echoes among the hills and boom, you can really hear and it. And it pinpoints location. Yeah. So if, if things are that bad, I, I would suggest to all of you um, to maybe look at getting a bow and you can have so much fun as a family with a bow, mm. uh, shooting targets in the yard or whatever. Uh, but it is a very, very quiet source of, of being able to gain food mm. uh, from the wild. I've even gone to the degree of practicing when I do take a deer with a bow of 
the, the, the usual practice is to bring the four-wheeler in. You put the deer on the four-wheeler after you've um, removed the entrails um, and go hang it in a cooler. Uh, you you know, if it's that bad, we're probably not going to have those luxuries. <laughs> right. You know? So I've literally practiced uh, several times cleaning a deer on the ground okay. and being able to bag it clean it and get out. Okay. Even if I was, I've done this in my woods right out from my house, but still the purpose was to prepare, to go, okay, I might have to hunt within city limits or I might have to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To be able to get food sources for my family. I've got my bow. You're not going to hear me unless you're really close to me and hear the string. Yeah. But, um, but that's just the first part. The second part is that thing you just killed is now a perishable item. It right, is a yeah. fight against the clock and microorganisms and pathogens and th- that are going to begin to multiply. And, and I the think warmer I'm, it is, the faster it goes. And I was telling you that, that the, I think the uh, growth zone for this uh, these bacteria are between 41 degrees and 135 degrees. That's pretty much any time you're going to be. Any time. <laughs> so if you're thinking about us, we live in North and South Carolina area here. Yeah. You know, you walk out right now, it's what, 55 degrees or so. And so the minute that deer goes on the ground or whatever it is, you, you're racing ticking. against the clock, yeah. okay? Because if you don't take care of this properly, then you're going to get your whole family sick. And, right. you know, you have E. coli, so what, salmonella. So let's just go through that. So, so what do you do? I mean, so you, you bag the deer. For someone's never shot a deer. Like, for example, I've never shot a deer before. Okay. So what do I do if I want to do what the method you just talked about? Yeah, well, normally what I have, I mean, you know, because I'm not in a survival scenario, but uh, I have either, you know, the vehicle or a four-wheeler. I have coolers with ice. Right. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to, you know. Or how about if you don't have it? Let's go to the scenario where you don't have any of that. So you're Well, you're okay, so the best mode. thing to do, and let's say we're in an in, in a area that's above 41 degrees, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, the, the first thing you need to do is you need to get the entrails out of the deer. Okay. And it's referred to as gutting. Okay, All right. you so you get the, the, get the get those out. Okay, so the, the, and, be, the, and you have to be it's the whole intestines, sac, what the intestines, uh, the heart, the lungs. You get everything out of there. Um, when you do, and you have to be very careful that you don't hit an intestine with your knife or, or mm. the bladder and contaminate the the hams. But um, so you you clean that out. The first thing you want to do is get it into any area that's cooler than right there where you're at. Hmm. Okay, that's going to slow down the process. So um, you get that, and of course, if you've gone to the place where, okay, I'm going to kill a deer, you, you've already probably thought about, I got to get this thing somewhere. Yeah, get it out. I so. got to get it out. Okay. <laughs> so there's, you know, at this point, uh, being that it's not a survival situation, you have different uh, packaging plants that are in your county. There's some where you're at. And you can take it there, and they will actually butcher the deer, and you can choose how you want it cut up and so forth. Uh, I personally uh, like to do my own packaging. I like to you know, know from the time I take that animal to the time it's sitting on my plate. I know the whole process. I know how clean I've been, you know what I mean? And, and um, you know, you have to trust someone else mm-hmm. you know, with your food. I would rather personally do it myself. Um, so then, you know, you have it cut up or whatever. I use freezer um, uh, vacuum seal mm-hmm. to vacuum seal, and that way you can store it. Now, in a situation, which I can see is coming next, mm-hmm. <laughs> what would you do if you didn't have that? Yeah. 
So there's several different things you can do um, is you can, there's different ways to cure meat, okay? Probably uh, the simplest way is just using the elements of, or uh, using sunlight and slight breeze, cutting meat into very thin slices uh, because the whole thing is to try to get rid of the internal moisture of that meat. Mm. Okay, you wanna get rid of that because that's the Petri dish, if you will, for microorganisms. So you can slice this into very thin strips and you literally can hang it up. Now, if you're gonna begin to pursue this or whatever, uh, there's uh, a lot of information on the internet. You can go on YouTube and type in a lot of this stuff. Um, But uh, we use what's called, um, oh gosh, it's like a mesh. Okay. It's like a meat mesh. So you put that over your meat, it keeps flies off and so forth. But you can actually hang this up and let the direct sunlight, and I usually, when I've done this, hang it where sun is hitting it on both sides, uh, and let it hang, and you can dry the meat out that way. That may last you know, a couple of weeks, all right? Uh, then you, if you don't have trees that you can hang up or fence or whatever, you can use rocks. So you can take the meat and lay it on rocks. Okay. And then, you know, you just got to remember to flip the meat over. So this this sounds very much like what the Native American, exactly. Native Canadian people exactly. did. Exactly, and that's the next thing is smoking. Mm-hmm. Smoking, you want to have your fire temperature between 100, 109 to 160, somewhere, you know, just roughly speaking. You don't want your meat hanging over the direct flame. The idea is to create, and you can actually use sticks as a teepee Mm-hmm. and build a very small fire in that. The, the key is the heat from the flame, not the direct flame, but the heat from the flame. So the smoke. And the of. smoke, the smoke has uh, heat in it, mm-hmm. but for that to, to cover your meat. And you, you always want to use hardwoods. You don't want to use um, uh, like pine or cedar because mm-hmm. it has that resin in it and that'll you know, uh, coat okay. your meat and it's horrible. Uh, but... Um, yeah, that's, there's there's several different things. You pressure canning. You can pressure can. Okay. Um, it's very simple to do. It's have you ever as, done pressure canning? Yeah, it's not. Okay, it's educate not, me. How do you do this? It's not very hard at all. Well, like say you have a mason jar, and what you do is this one pressure cooker that I'm referring to, uh, you just cut cubes of, beet, of the uh, meat, mm-hmm. uh, venison, stuff it in there. You usually leave about a half inch away from the top of the where your cap's going to go of the mason jar. Uh, you add salt, mm-hmm. add pepper, just right there directly on top of that meat. And then you seal it just hand time. So no water, no nothing. No water, no. And then uh, you you then put water into your pressure cooker, mm-hmm. okay? And um, like this one's like, I think three quarts of water you put in it. And you set the jars in there. You set it to, I think it's 10, 10 or 15 pounds of pressure. Mm-hmm. And you have the little indicator on yeah. top and you just seal it and... Um, just like, it's done, it does this wobble thing on top, mm-hmm. the indicator does. Deep, just uh, release the pressure, open them up, and store. So pretty much just like canning anything it's else. Just like canning anything else, yeah. You mm. can can meat, and it lasts, it'll last you two years, mm. you know? So there's a lot of different things you can do. Fishing, uh, you can, you know, I like smoked fish. That's a Native American um, thing that uh, this Native American showed me. And uh, it's really good, you know. Mm. And if we if we get our mindset thinking differently than what we live each and every day by going to the grocery store, you, you want to think more like a pioneer. Think of the pioneers that left Independence, Missouri, and went yeah. all the way across. They didn't, they weren't able to pack, you right. know, meat. <clears throat> you know, there were no no ways of of keeping it. So what they did was they ate 
jerky. They eat jerky. Yeah. They eat canned meat and so forth. And grains. Grains are so very important and very inexpensive, you know, to supplement that food source. Yeah, we have someone coming on uh, next week mm-hmm. uh, talking about how buying grains, not even just for your family, but for others around you. Exactly. If you have to feed your neighbors, why not feed them, you know, don't have the, the filet mignon, as it were, right, out for right, them. Right. Have just the, the corn right, or exactly. whatever. You can buy like a, how, how many pounds of corn at tractor supply? Oh, yeah, yeah. For, and you, it's, you, you buy feed corn. I'm not saying buy deer corn because that's... That's the worst corn. That's different. It is. It's different. But feed corn, just regular feed corn. Yeah, and it's very inexpensive. Uh, Rice, very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. Wheat, beans. There's so many different types of beans, canned beans, that you can get and you can store. Um, So you can supplement with hunting, uh, but don't think of it as a long-term solution, okay? Uh, Because just... By simple math, your resources are going to begin to dwindle, especially if everybody's doing it. Right. You know what I mean? And then animals tend to become more and more nocturnal. I believe we would probably become more and more nocturnal uh, if we were in a life or death situation. I don't think wildlife regulations, which I strongly uphold because of the management abilities uh, that they have in the rules and regulations. But when it comes down to feeding your family, you're going to feed your family. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you need others around you. We talked about before the cameras come on. And again, this person I described is coming on next week. Actually, not coming on next week. It's two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. Uh, his name's Steve. But anyway, he's also going to talk about this, is that you don't want to be out on your, out on your own. No. I think you, we, were, we were talking about how Yehovah is strange that where he brought me to a vegan diet for certain reasons in my, my life. And now... Um, investigating the ketogenic diet and teaching other people about that. Mm-hmm. You're an expert on how to preserve meats, that kind of thing. Someone else may be an expert on how to identify herbs. We all need to bring our specialties together in Amen. community in order to survive because not one particular thing is going to do it. The herbalist isn't going to survive on his own. Mm-hmm. The vegan isn't going to survive on his own. And the, the meat guy is not necessarily going to survive on his own. Exactly. So we need to come together and help each other and be able to be humble and willing to learn from each other. Doesn't that sound familiar? The body is of many parts. Oh gosh, more than right. ever, right? Yeah, exactly. And 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 you know that's why you know we've talked about this and it's so easy to put this stuff off, you know, but just because of the, you know, Hollywood has distorted things like prepping, uh, anything of the spirit, deliverance, all these things, it has made a mockery of Mm -hmm. it to get you to not pay attention to it or to laugh at it, you know? Um, Yeshua spent a third of his ministry casting out demons. (laughs) Yes, he did. So um, when it comes to prepping, doesn't mean you're part of some cult, you know, living in a shack in the woods and you won't drive a motor vehicle or whatever, just wherever your imagination would take you. This is the right thing to do. I mean, just for natural disasters, having things, because you don't know. I just remember, uh, I think it was uh, Hugo Mm -hmm. when I lived here. Um, We didn't have power for two weeks, Mm. you know? And so... There were some things, at that point, I was going, gosh, I should have done this. I should have bought this. should have had a generator, whatever. Yep. Uh, and, you know, we've talked a lot about that is depending on the level of survival and the situation that you're faced in hand, mm-hmm. there's things you do want to 
to, uh, it's okay for people to see, and then there's a time that may come where you do not want to advertise what you have. Well, that's right. For example, when you fire the, the gun in the woods and you advertise where you are. Exactly. And so, for example, you don't want to be having the only guy with a generator and 20 gallons of fuel around you and everybody knows it. Yeah, you're the guy driving uh, the truck, you're the only one that's got gas, you're a dead man. Yep. If it's a situation like that. Right, now speaking of that, so, we unfortunately may need to protect ourselves, uh, not only just with with firearms, and we'll maybe we'll talk about more about this in a in a, in a bonus. But um, what kind of? First of all, I wanted to go. We'll hold that for a second. But there's one thing I wanted to ask before we forget about it is with the bow hunting. So if, if you're shooting an animal with a firearm, mm -hmm. obviously you may have to shoot more than once. You showed me a couple of pictures on your phone of, of an elk mm -hmm. that you had to shoot from what 500 yards? 530 yards. That's yeah. impressive enough alone. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, so, but so you shot it. But now if you're bow hunting. You don't necessarily get it with the first arrow. Oh, yes. I mean, how fast I do you have to be? I killed him just as quick with a bow or with an arrow than I have with a gun. Okay, so now what happens if you have to do two shots? I mean, how fast yeah. do you have to be to get it out of the quill? And I mean, I've quiver, when I, mean. I first started hunting, I had a bow that was so old and slow <laughs> that every time I would let go of the string, the deer would duck. <laughs> and I shot every arrow I had in my quiver, yelled at it to go on, and I got back down and got all my arrows and went back up in the tree. <laughs> So <laughs> that was the first time. Um, but I have killed deer as quick or quicker oh, really? with, a, with an arrow. I've, I've literally shot them and they run five feet, turn around, and their blood pressure drops so quick, they don't even know what, they just pass out. So now if folks say, okay, well, you know what? I like the idea of a bow better than a gun. Mm -hmm. uh, so would you recommend a crossbow or a traditional bow? Yeah, crossbows in most states now, um, it used to be that only, um, uh, it was a handicap situation, mm -hmm. I think, where only handicapped people could use them. But I think, I think for the most part, most states, anybody can use a crossbow. Mm. And, um, and they are incredible. I have been elk hunting with a tactical uh, PSC crossbow that, you know, if an elk came within 150 yards, I was very comfortable in shooting that mm. elk with that bow. With a compound bow, um, you know, the father said I would probably shoot a deer, or half shot a deer was 42, 43 yards. Wow. Now, God forbid you'd need to protect yourself against uh people coming after your stuff like we were getting into, yeah. and I think we're gonna save that. Let's save that for a bonus uh, edition okay. on the michaelrude.tv app. Uh, that way, uh, you know, we can we can talk a little more freely than we can out here on, on YouTube, and uh, we can get some real good practical advice. Uh, you've Sounds been good. in military, you've been in all kinds of things that, that, that I haven't, and so maybe you can offer some practical advice to our folks. Definitely would like to give them uh, uh, information on calibers, shells for guns, which guns should you have, and so forth. Okay, all right, let's do that. All right, yeah. so I'll be looking for that on the michaelrude.tv app. David Robinson, thank you very much. Thank you for watching Revelation Preparation, and we'll see you next time on Shabbat Night Live.